0: Hey there, and welcome back to The Fuse Show. Today I'm joined by uh, Mike Barrero. Uh,
1: He's an experienced technology executive with a demonstrated history of working in numerous sectors of the industry. He's skilled in software development, databases, agile methodologies, and Amazon Web Services. He's also a strong information technology professional with a BS in computer science from the University of California, Davis. Thanks for joining us on the show.
0: Thanks, David, glad to be here.
1: So out of all your experience in tech, How did you feel like your experiences led you to where you are today?
0: Uh, I think people take a lot of different um, career paths. Uh, And if you look at mine, I I even have a a slight detour uh, in the middle. Uh, I started out in tech. In the middle, I uh, actually became a police officer and that's probably for a whole different podcast, but um, but I've been in tech now for about 20 years uh, overall. And Throughout the years, uh, a lot of my early career was spent doing random jobs at, at random companies. So I've, I have had a, a pretty wide breadth of experience going from startups to uh, large companies like HP and NEC, and then really came back to startup over the past uh, six or eight years, uh, going from Uh, a smaller company that that turned out to be fairly successful here in Sacramento, which is where uh, I'm based and where one is headquartered um, in the real estate space. And then transitioned into banking and into FinTech from there. And uh, previous to to one, I was at a company called Aslo, which is a small business banking uh, platform, which recently um, sadly had to shut their doors uh due to the the bank closing them down but um that was a great experience and a great foray into fintech uh and led me here to one which is uh exciting and more um more in the consumer space which is uh super um appealing to me both from a reach perspective because small business is great it is also you know consumer adjacent but um you don't get the the reach that you do when you're going direct to consumers uh, at the scale that we are, are doing at now.
1: So how, so I imagine when you're in the police office academy, you're probably one of very few people with a computer science background. So uh, yes. Can you, can uh, you elaborate on that story? Uh, so the was reason that? I asked is my, my co-founder also was a former police officer who became a detective and eventually he moved his way into uh, SaaS and uh, podcasting as well. So I'd love to hear how, how you did it.
0: Sure. I mean, early on in my career, um, and we're talking a few years in, so I I did, I went to college for computer science, um, came out, I love engineering. I was doing, uh, like I said, a few different jobs at different places that were, um, started out at a a smaller startup. It was great. I got a lot of experience. And then uh, really overall, the sitting behind the desk, and coding and staring at a screen all day wasn't very uh, personally fulfilling. And so I said, I really need to do something that's more service based. And in fact, I was going to join the military, hmm. but, um, but I couldn't due to a childhood illness or, you know, I had asthma when I was a kid and that's a hmm. disqualifier. So um, the next best thing I could think of, service based, and also had, you know, I was in my, <laughs> early mid twenties, um, I wanted all the action. And, and so I said, well, I'm going to be a police officer. And that's, um, I really wanted to do something that was a little bit more, um, giving back and a little bit less boring, to be honest. Uh, cause at the time I was, I had some relatively boring, um, computer science type jobs that were, uh, directly in my, in my wheelhouse, but also weren't very, um, weren't very rewarding uh and so i i joined the um the police academy in uh about 2005 um so we're going back a ways but um but yeah it's a i i really enjoyed that experience uh a couple things along the way kind of took me out of uh being a police officer and and that was uh That was not a a fun time uh i didn't do anything wrong so (laughs) i'm not trying to be cagey or anything but uh but it was um really good in in the sense that it it brought me back to here because honestly Mm. if it hadn't gone poorly i'd probably still be there uh my brother's in law enforcement um big fan of the police officers in general but um but what i'm doing now is so much more exciting and uh in contrast with the early days when I was not excited about my job and when I wanted to change, Uh, I don't have those same feelings now. And um, I'm certainly not old, but (laughs) I do think that a police officer is a young man's game. It's a a tough job and it's it's not easy to do.
1: What are some things that you learned back then that you carry forward, like as just a life principle?
0: Uh, I think one of the things that they really drive home is, always being prepared, you know, always being alert Uh, in some ways, you know, because police officers are so much um, at risk when they are on the job, uh, you kind of take that home as well, where you're just like always aware of what's going on around you. And I think that's important in business uh, to just not get complacent and, you know, not that you're worried about somebody trying to hurt you, but just in in general, um, having that don't don't get comfortable where you're at. Uh, always be out looking around, seeing what else is out there. You know, from a not necessarily a threat perspective, although in engineering we we definitely have our share of threats, not physical, but but uh, you know, as far as cybersecurity and, and data privacy and those types of things. Um, and I think that is. Is really important for for anyone in business, um, and that's one of the big the big benefits. I think the other is um, you know just the the work ethic and the just keep going, the perseverance hmm. that you kind of need. Um, there's a lot of challenging things again, less physically, but a lot of challenging things in startup and in business where uh, if you don't have that kind of fortitude to keep going it's, um, can be a real challenge. And I think a lot of people burn out and a lot of people don't, you know, they, they start off really high in startup and they say, this is awesome. And do this big thing. And when the going gets tough, they just, they can't keep doing it. And, and they end up either falling back to another more you know, stable job or, um, or going down a different path because it was just too hard. And I think, you know, grit, fortitude, all of that is very necessary when you're doing startup because things rarely go your way. And I think uh, the, successful, the successful people and the successful companies will tell you um, <laughs> it wasn't always as easy as it looks You know, nowadays when they get to the point where they're huge and it's like, oh, look at that big company. They had a lot of struggles when they were early on. And uh, I think everybody goes through that. You should recognize that, know that it's coming and and just get through it.
1: One of the reasons I started this podcast is to capture exactly what you just shared. The fact that the path of being an entrepreneur is very, very difficult, but also at the same time, the the fact that it is difficult, makes it exciting and rewarding. I think you called out the fact that you found, you you said, I think your first computer science based jobs were on the more boring side, where like, I I totally agree with that. I think most jobs in the realm of like programming actually on the, uh, the, I, I kind of call it like digital plumbing, where like a job needs to get done. It's very clear yep. what needs to get done, and you need to put in a lot of time to get like connect po- connect component one to component two, do some relatively basic database queries, like render generally basic things. And I feel like that's a bulk of what most software engineers do at the like new grad level. So how did you go? I, from, I hate-
0: Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say I think in the in the beginning that's really exciting because when you're doing something new, almost whatever it is, it's really exciting, and even. Even like uh, as a police officer, when your first, you know, first few months is just like so much new and so there's a ton of excitement. And then I think if you ask most police officers as they go throughout their career, especially the ones who have, you know, five or 10 years in, which is a long time for a police officer, um, those things that were exciting become boring. Hmm. Uh, You know, like things that you and I think are, are very exciting, like, oh, high speed chases and, you know, situations where you might require a gun those are very uh thrilling maybe not exciting but certainly thrilling um those become normal to you as a police officer and in some ways they become boring um and i think the same with with almost any job uh being a new a new computer grad you know you, you come in you're like oh i can do all of these things now you have a lot of theory right in college you don't have a lot of practical experience and then you come out into the real world and it's like i'm gonna go build something and you build these things that are not super exciting uh but as a new grad and as somebody who hasn't really done it before they are exciting for a little Mm. while and then a year down the road you're like okay i've done that you know especially when you're young you think i know everything now like what else is there um this is boring and so uh, I think the the newness of whether it's a job or, a, or a project, you know, you get on a new project, I think most engineers, um, they like to move around, right? They don't want to work on a project for 10 years, right? They barely want to work on a project for more than a year, a year's about kind of the, the I don't want to say breaking point, but certainly <laughs> the you kind of get, uh, well, maybe I want to do something else. This is, this becomes the same thing every day, even if you're, doing new things that might be slightly challenging. You just want like a whole new, let's change it up. And one of the things I really love about startup is that it's a new It's, it's a new thing every day, pretty much. Um, whereas if you go to some of the larger companies, um, not that they're bad, but you are a bit of a cog in a machine and it's like, here, go do this work. And it's a little bit rote and a little bit, um, you know, unfulfilling, but it's, but it's a job. I think with startup, there's nothing boring about it. It changes every day. Um, a lot of days it's scary. A lot of days it's fun. Uh, but you don't get that, that boredom or that sense of, I need something different. Um, unless like I said earlier for the people who maybe are just like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep having all this change. I can't keep having all of this, this stress and this pressure. Uh, which is there with, with a lot of startups. So there's a, there's a trade-off, but I believe, um, you know, when you're at your job, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, hopefully not too much more than that. uh, It should be something that you, you really love. It's at least a third of your life um, spent at this thing. You should really love what you're doing. And if you don't, you should probably find something else.
1: I definitely agree. How did you go from being a police officer who wanted excitement in their life to finding excitement again in the world of software engineering?
0: Yeah, so when I when I got out, uh, I went back to software because that was my, I was trained in it. I had lots of experience. And it was also the thing that I, don't get me wrong, I still always loved engineering. Um, it's, it's, I think for most engineers, it's kind of core to them. They are people who are, hopefully, a little more logical and are like problem solving. And and that's really, you know, engineering is not about writing code. It's about solving problems. And and so that was always uh, a big part of me, even when I was a police officer. Um, Coming back out, I went back to that. And my first job was definitely more of a job. It was fine. And it was new. Again, it was new. So it was like, okay, this is exciting, you get to learn a lot of new things, you get to work with a lot of new people. And all of that keeps you, you know, kind of motivated and engaged for the first few months, the first six months. Um, and then I found myself, you know, feeling this is the same, this is this is what I used to have. It's it After six months or a year, it's kind of boring again, especially if the company is not particularly dynamic. Even though it was a smaller company, it wasn't really um nothing was fast paced about it you know it was mm-hmm. just very mundane um day to day and so i made a change uh maybe for the worse i'm not going to say where i went to cuz that's rude but um but it was a larger company and it was even more mundane and mm-hmm. i got to say there were some days where i i literally this is this is i'm i mean very precise here i literally did not talk to one other individual for the entire day Hmm. um and that's you know pretty sad uh and i only stayed there for um a relatively short amount of time and then i found startup and i mean real startup um and that was here in sacramento i was at my boring job and a recruiter for this company reached out. And normally I don't answer. I mean, if we answered every recruiter call or, or email that came through our doors, uh, we'd be very busy. Normally I don't answer but she sent a video, a YouTube video about this company. And so I watched it and I was like, wait a minute, there's a startup, like, like what you think of as Silicon Valley startup. There's a startup here in Sacramento, like that. this is unheard of. And this was you know, going a few years back. But uh, it was kind of always thought, at least in my mind in the Sacramento region, that if you want the startup life, you have to move to the Bay. Hmm. A lot of people don't want to do that. If you have a family, right, if, right. you know, and I had, I had a family, I have kids um, and that's a pretty big ask to up and move everybody to go have that kind of life. And so this was like, I can have this startup. And back then also like remote work was not really a thing um, most companies require you to be in the office most day of the week. So you kind of make that choice of either. I'm going to, if I'm going to live in Sacramento, uh, you can commute, which is <laughs> horrible, or you can move, which I wasn't, you know, at the time I wasn't willing to do. And so never really got that true startup experience. And when I saw this video and I was like, that place looks exciting. That place looks like, you know, fun. Um, that's when i really got back into engineering because again like between being a police officer and and when i made the jump to well when i made the jump to skyslope um it was relatively boring uh, in between uh, i didn't get excited about what it is that we do now until i had that experience I'm like this is and to be honest i had been smaller kind of startup companies previously but they weren't anything close to, to what Skyslope was, or certainly not what like one is. Um, back then, uh, a lot of the, the startups that were in Sacramento, like early on, we're talking 2002 era, um, were really more like mom and pop type startups. I mean, they they were just, for lack of a better word, they were small company. They weren't they weren't necessarily you know and maybe been around for a couple of years. But they weren't the startup that you kind of have this big idea and you want to go and get lots of customers and do big Mm -hmm. things it was um a little bit less um less grand on on the scale side so uh skyslope really was the first like true introduction to that and it got me really excited fired up we were we were on fire for literally three years and then um skyslope was acquired by fidelity uh, and ended up moving on from that because kind of gets boring after you get acquired. Um, moving into banking.
1: Can you elaborate and, on that? What, what makes an, an acquisition boring as an engineer? Um,
0: well, I think you know, most of the time things slow down pretty drastically when that happens. Uh, you know, everybody has to get aligned with the new company vision and and all of that sort of thing. And it really also hinders your ability to make progress uh, with what you were what you were trying to do previously. Obviously, now you essentially have a new boss. Um, it's no longer your CEO. It's you know this new company, and they have their own objectives. And so now they didn't acquire you just because they like you. Um, so now you have you know it's it, kind of a bit of serving two masters, and and also just a this feeling, at least for me, of we've already kind of hit the top, Mm, Um, you know, uh, and where do we, where do we grow from here? Um, And so I think for me personally, and this is not everybody, I like the, the dynamic nature of startups. And once it becomes not dynamic, it becomes less exciting. And, you know, I want to, I like early stage startups. I'm totally fine to even maybe go through the first, the first few rounds, right? ABC, hopefully along the way there's a, an exit, but um, that's not always the case. And and then find something else that's exciting again. Um, Cause once you get to like that big, okay, now we're a multi-thousand person company and, and not that Skyslope was at the time, but, um, once you get to that, to me, that is far less interesting. Because one of the other things I really love about startup is the the scrappy nature and the ability to work closely with a relatively small team and to accomplish a lot of things in a small amount of time without all the red tape, without the three weeks of process to make a decision. It's like, we make a decision now, we go implement it after lunch, it's in production tomorrow. Like that kind of, um, that kind of speed and that kind of change is, uh, is really fun for me and as you grow that just it changes I don't care how big you are that that just changes um so leaving Skyslope um you know it, it wasn't uh it was kind of sad because you do feel like you you've contributed so much to build this thing up um but also at the same time jumping into banking was again totally new totally different and uh I think for a lot of people, especially myself, you kind of think about banking. And you're like, "That's that sounds pretty boring." I mean, how could you get much more boring than banking? Um, it's debits and credits. You know, you hold people's money. Like that doesn't sound exciting um, until you get into it, and then you realize how much there really is. And also, I think for um, what we're doing now here at One, it's really exciting to be able to solve a problem that you kind of thought was solved like you I think most people look at banking and say it's already been done it's been done by you know by many different players for many different years like what else is there like how hard is it to hold somebody else's money and let them spend it when they want to and that I think is where um a lot of the big banks miss and where A lot of the the challenger banks or the neo banks that are out there, um, similar to us, uh, are trying to make a difference. But I think the one, the the big differentiator is really on the customer service side. And I don't just mean the person who answers the phone and is able to help you with a problem. I really mean in the banking should be a service for the customer. Um, You know, we, we are, we, are not there as some? Uh, I think it's interesting that people essentially, for most of the big banks, they hire this institution to hold their money, which is a benefit to those banks. Uh, they hire in the form of you know fees, and you know <laughs> I'm paying you for the privilege to to hold my money. Um, and that's always been a little bit odd to me. And I think a lot of the neo banks, and especially one we don't have any fees. And that alone, I think is such a departure because most banks are trying to add as many fees as they can, as long as they make sense, you know, this makes sense, you did something wrong, or you want this thing, so we're going to charge you for it. Um, And, and their almost their purpose is to extract as much of your money from the bucket that they are holding from you, which is just so weird to me if you actually think about it. Um, Because you have now said, I would like this company, I'm going to choose this company to try and extract as much of my money as possible. And I'll just try and make sure I don't screw up so that I don't have any of that happen. And then they're doing a good job because I didn't have to pay any fees. And so this relationship is working but all the time i mean banks make so much money off their fees and mostly because um i I don't think most people know that if you're a large bank if you're a large institution uh 10 billion dollars or more uh you know they're regulated on the amount of interchange that they can receive uh based on the durbin act and so these large banks they don't care that much about you spending money on your on your card or you know on your debit card because the money that they receive from that transaction is small, the money that you know is charged essentially to the merchant. It's not charged to the customer. It's charged to the merchant at the point of sale um, when you run your card. A very small amount of that goes back to large banks. Uh, a lot of the the smaller banks and and um, and for banking platforms like One, we get a much larger percentage of that. Again, this is not coming out of the consumer's pocket. This is part of the you know, two to 3% that the merchant is, is paying in order to uh, have the, the card network. And so a small institution like us has a lot less overhead than a B of A or a Wells Fargo or those, those big banks. Um, and we get a much larger percentage of those, those card transactions. And so you're talking about a, a much lower cost and a much higher revenue. Uh, And again, we're still talking small amounts, but but in general, we can make that model work. We can be, banks can't. Banks cannot survive on card interchange. And so they have to look other places. Of course, they make a lot of their money on lending as well, but fees are a substantial part of any bank's portfolio. And that to me is where the customer service or the lack thereof really comes into play and again it's not the do we have 24 7 support right, right. like that type of customer For service experience. It's really the serving the customer yeah. and if you are trying to take money we don't try to take money from our customer ever like that is not our goal we we take a percentage of the money that's out of the card transactions that they make but again it doesn't come out of the customer's pocket uh we don't charge any fees you know, and I think we have a very unique, um, a very unique part of our platform or of our accounts is that you can go negative in your account without paying a penalty. Hmm. So the way that we've kind of envisioned this is that um, zero is. Just an arbitrary number, and like going below this line should not mean that now you have to, you know, you go below by five dollars. Now you have to pay like a thirty-five dollar fee <laughs> because, you, because you borrowed five dollars right. from your bank for like maybe a week. Yeah, like yeah. That's outrageous. And if you actually, if you calculate the the percentage yeah. of you know what that would work out to if it was an APR, it's in the like thousands, thousands, tens of thousands.
1: of percent. Yeah.
0: Like <laughs> uh, God, I borrowed five bucks for a week, and I now pay thirty-five dollars for that. Uh, Zero is just, you know, sometimes you go below zero, it's not a big deal. And what we end up doing is we've essentially, and I'm gonna use words that are, um, you know, they are more well-known by consumers, but I think also it's a double-edged sword when you use well-known words because people get these preconceived notions. "I, I know what that is. You know, if you say bank, I know what that is. If you say checking account, oh, I know what that is. And so I'm going to use these words. Um, and I'll come back to like the words that we use. But I'm going to use these words mostly from the perspective of being able to bypass some of the education that is required if you use a new word uh, and say, we've essentially married a checking account with a, a credit facility. Think of it like a credit line. And so you can go below negative. You can go below zero. We will cover it. Um, and as long as that gets paid back within your monthly cycle there's no fees there's no interest we still don't charge any fees but if you carry a balance over time we charge one percent interest per month uh, which is very reasonable we're talking 12 percent apr it's lower than almost any credit card or you know any other credit facility out there and again we're not trying to extract people's money that's more from a you know on our side, a risk perspective because some people won't pay that back, and right, of course right. we have to cover losses. But we've married these two things so that we can say you can go below zero, and your next paycheck might be a few days away or a week away, right? But if you think of your account as a, as a bucket, and so instead of uh, kind of the paradigm now, where if you are, let's say you're at the grocery store, and you have a traditional debit card and you have a traditional credit card. And you say, if you're smart and you think, I've only got 20 bucks in my account, I've kind of done the mental math in my cart and I've got $30 worth of groceries. I'm not gonna use my debit card because that's, not, that's either gonna bounce or maybe it won't, but I'm gonna have an overdraft fee. So I'm gonna put it on this credit card. So you do that, everything's fine and you still have this $20, you know, I don't want to say burning a hole in your pocket, but you've got this $20 over here that you now have available to spend again. Hmm. Um, so there are two problems with that, I think. One is that you've kind of now put this everyday purchase, this $30 purchase on, on uh, you financed it, right. which is not a good use of a credit card. It's just, it's, um, I believe and, and we believe that credit should be there for people when they need it, not when they not necessarily when they want it, when they're like, oh, it'd be really great to go buy a boat today. Don't really have the money, probably can't afford it, but this credit card says I can. Right, so right. <laughs> that to me is is very predatory. And you know, of course, credit card companies love that idea because they get people to spend right. more than they really should. But by financing that grocery store purchase you've now like really um, abstracted away the amount of money that you have or that you think you have. And you've said, okay, this other thing over here can do it and I will deal with it later. Well, the problem is that compounds because it's always later and it's always just a little bit more money than I'm gonna put on this thing. Um, and because there's no, you know, unless you're very disciplined, there's no immediate repayment mechanism there or no forced repayment mechanism for sure. They're like, ah, just give us 25 bucks a month. That's okay. Um, Of course they want to do that because they want that thing to grow and they want you to owe them forever so that they can keep making money on a more more of like a subscription basis than an actual, um, you know, they're not looking to, to get that paid back anytime soon. And so for us, we combine these two things together and we say, look, it's one big bucket And zero is just somewhere in the middle of this bucket, right? Like, and so if you dip below, we've got you covered. When your money comes back in, AKA more into the bucket, it just fills that back up. There is no repayment there, Hmm. right? So you don't have to think about how much did I spend? How much, you know, do I have to pay? Should I pay the whole amount? Should I pay a minimum amount? Like you just, I'm going to use, you know, simple numbers, but let's say you make, thousand dollars a month, and we've given you a a couple hundred dollar credit line in order to go um, negative. We call this, you know, overdraft, right? I mean that that is a word that everybody knows and understands. Um, overdraft protection. So we give you a couple hundred bucks. You go negative by a hundred dollars. That's fine. When your next paycheck comes in, your checking account. Again, I'm going to use the words that that people. Uh, no, your checking account now has nine hundred dollars in it because it instantly filled up. You were at negative one hundred, and, right, and right. now you're at and now you're at nine hundred, um, and that makes it uh, much more easy for you to stay on top of your finances because you don't have this separate other thing that you're going to get a monthly bill for later and actually find out how many times you've compiled charges onto this thing. Um, what we call our, you know, if you want to call it a check account, we call it a spend account, right? And there is um, some education in, when you say that to people, they don't really know what that means. And they can't, they don't have these preconceived notions, so it is harder to um, say that, you know, in passing, you kind of need a little bit of education, but I think there's a lot of power in using new words because you remove all of the baggage okay. of a well-known word, and you can you know, invent what that means. And for us, a spend pocket, we also call our accounts pockets. And uh, I will talk about that too, if we get to it, but um, our spend pocket really is about, this is the thing that you use to, to spend because there are different categories of money. There's money to save, right? That you're putting away either for a, a short term purchase, like maybe a, you, you wanna buy a laptop or you wanna buy, you wanna go on a vacation. Uh, Those are more shorter term and then you have that like rainy day fund i'm putting away money just in case I want to have, you know, three or six months of of income. uh, Available liquid in something that is that is safe and that's very different from the I go to Starbucks every day I have money to spend you know I need I need to spend. Um, So we have a spend pocket and that is what gives you this ability to to go negative right? If, if you're at the grocery store and you only have $20 of cash, quote unquote, in your account, um, that's okay. You can go spend 50. It's okay. We, we will cover the 30. When your next paycheck comes in, it will fill it back up. You will owe us no interest. You will owe us no, you know, no fees. Um, and for a lot of people, you can, you can, because they do, because they have to. A lot of people are writing that line of paycheck to paycheck. Um, they don't have tons of extra money sitting around. And so, the way that I look at it, uh, most paychecks are fairly cyclical, depending on your type of job, but um, they come weekly, maybe bi weekly, monthly. Uh, life does not happen on that same cycle. It just, you know, you could be two days away from payday or maybe two days after payday and some expense that you never planned for, right? You get a you, tire blows out. Now you have to pay for a, a tow and a tire or whatever. Um, the majority of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency right. expense. And that is, I mean, one, it's, it's very sad and that's a, almost a different um, topic, but it's really core to what we're trying to do. That should not be a huge problem for anybody. I mean, you know, certainly in America, um and it is because you don't have the ability to what I would say get credit when you need it. Sure. That's what credit should be for. It's like, hey, I need I need a little extra right now because I don't have enough in my account. I'm good for it. I have a job. I get paid every two weeks. Like this is not something that is risky. I just had a bad a bad thing happened and and bad things happen to everybody or to, to everyone, um, on a regular basis. And some people are just, aren't able to handle it very well. And so what happens, I mean, financially. And so what happens is they turn to things like credit cards, which have really high interest rates. And of course, allow you to pay just a little bit. We'll just let you pay a little bit back. And you're like, Oh, that sounds great. I don't really want to Pay back the hundred dollars that I used. I'll just put twenty five, and then I have you know, then I have the seventy five dollars in cash. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure as you mm-hmm. compound that. And so, what we're trying to do here really is to say, look, we understand these problems. We understand the the spending cycles for people and the and the pay, and the income cycles for people. Um, we we give people these. These lines of credit, this this overdraft protection, in various amounts, and it's all based on how much how much do you bring in, you know, to the platform. How much can mm. you reasonably, you know, we're not going to give you ten thousand dollars to to spend extra at the grocery store. That's not the goal. The right. goal is really to help you cover those cases where you you come up a little short. Um, either because of a, some minor catastrophe or because you maybe didn't really budget that well and you maybe had this an extra, an extra trip to the bar this week, like that's okay. Like that, that shouldn't be a, a stress for you, a financial stress, which everybody, so many people are dealing with these days. Um, to have that comfort that your card works, that you're not going to be embarrassed at the at the point of sale uh, in, and have it bounce, or to get to the end of the month and say, "Wow, we overdrafted two or three times this month. Now we have to pay hundred dollars in fees to the bank." Like these people are people who have the least uh, ability to cover an extra hundred dollars in fees. I mean, they they're talk about kicking them when you're down, like. They had to borrow five or 10 or 20 bucks from you, Mr. Bank, um, at some point during the month. And then you charge them like they had to borrow 20 bucks. You really think that they're, that they want to give you $35 out of their next paycheck, uh, in order to, to pay you for your awesome service. Like that's where, um, that's where the human side, I think of bank's does not shine through. I don't think there is one, you know, and, and again, I'm not saying banks are evil, but they are in the business of extracting money from customers. Uh, in order to, you know, of course they have to provide services just like we do, but but they get their money from a slightly different source than we do. They make a small amount from the merchants. Um, they make a much larger amount from their customers. And we are the total opposite.
1: So in terms of the services, like I think a lot of people like to go to banks because they have a physical ATM, they can go to a physical human being they can talk to someone they can either email or phone call and get an actual answer back regarding some scenario regarding their account. How do you do yes. that at scale off of I'm assuming the 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 margins you get off of the transactional spread is relatively small dollar amount wise to like cover for your team's like staff
0: compensation
1: at, sure. at scale? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so these really don't work except for at scale. I see. Um, you can't run this if you have, you know, ten thousand customers because, like you said, is not going to cover payroll for a team that's running this uh, this type of thing. And so we are VC backed. Um, you know, we were we were seated and founded by Bill Harris, who's a um, pretty large titan in the uh, in the finance world. And um, you know, when Bill had this vision. It was um, it was really to to go big. I mean, we're talking big, big Uh, and not going to go completely into the future roadmap. But it's it's not something that you just build a nice business that has 100,000 customers. And you just kind of survive like we wouldn't survive on 100,000 customers. Um, And so we are VC backed. We probably will be for at least another round or two. I'm talking about you know funding realms. Um, and and then, of course, at some point we will be break even. but that break even, you're into the millions of customers, right? And then at that point, you can actually um, cover expenses for you know headcount and, right. and software and everything else. Uh, again, because we don't have the brick and mortars. Now, you mentioned um, people like going to a bank because of the the services that that you mentioned, like an ATM. We have atms hmm. um they're not you know they're not one branded they are the all point network which is you know 55 000, uh, plus atms around the country so there's no shortage of places to to uh you know get cash um i do think the majority of people nowadays don't even use cash there are still a lot right. of people that do um but almost every payment i mean um is, is electronic, you know, most, most merchants now are tapped to pay. And so everybody's walking around with, you know, the, their Apple will, just put that thing on the, on the uh, counter when you, when you get up there and you didn't even have to bring your wallet with you. Hmm. Um, so cash is, to me, it's a, it's an important component for a lot of people. Um, sometimes you need cash. Sometimes, you know, a lot of people are, are still more on that and depending on your industry they could certainly be more cash heavy so we don't want to uh, you know not be a solution for people with cash as well hmm. but um, i don't think you need to have your own brick and mortar there are these networks out there these, these vast networks that are um, able to meet customers wherever they're at and we get to leverage those uh and again no fees we don't charge any atm fees using the the allpoint network so we have that um as far as customer service goes like the actual can i get somebody on the phone uh we are far more available than than banks are um okay. in terms of when you call you don't get routed through a phone tree of you know 27 questions and an ai bot <laughs> going to, you know, try and help you out and maybe direct you to a website and, and give you an article on how. You <laughs> the when you call, you will get a human. Or when you email, you will get a human. Or when you chat, you will get a human. We have no AI for CX. Mm-hmm. Um, CX meaning customer experience. We, we are, you know, and of course we are a little, you know, on the smaller side, we're not Bank of America. We don't have 10,000 agents. Um, But we also don't have yet, uh, we don't have hundred million customers. So when we, you know, as we scale, of course we will need more, but we have a very talented team of, you know, customer service individuals who really are just wanting to help the customer. And I think that is a different thing to when you get to scale. And especially when you have that, and it's a challenge that we will have to solve as well. Um, Everybody in our customer service team, is really tied to the company and tied to the vision of the company and when you get to be big and you have a call center in mumbai nobody there cares about the company it's a job right it's a job they answer the phone most of the time they're dealing with a customer that has a problem so customer might be irate and they they get a little bit jaded and they're also disconnected from the company, from the company's Mm. vision and, and really from the customer. And so they're the, the, the way in which you deal with a customer, I think is, is, um, very different when you're like, this is my customer or I work at a job and they pay me to answer the phone and, you know, try to not get a bad rating. I mean, they're two very different mindsets. And for everybody here at one we're really everything in the product everything on the customer service side it's really how can we do the best thing for our customer and of course we are trying to monetize this but we have a plan we have a roadmap and the business plan is not how do we pull the money from our customers it's how do we you know provide a service that we can we can support via things like interchange um, also, we will probably have in the not too distant future uh, more of like the freemium model where you get all the same services that we have today for, for free. But if you want this extra premium thing, maybe you want, um, you know, a designer card, you want a metal card, you want, you know, that's fine. Some people really want, they, they, they care deeply about their what's in their wallet. We can give you that for, you know, a, not a fee, but for a subscription or for, uh, you know, you, you pay 20, 30, 50 bucks, whatever it is, and you can get that thing, but that's your choice. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference between um, something of value that you're willing to pay for because you've made the choice is very different than a fee to right. get done to you right? It's like, oh, I didn't want to pay you $35 to borrow five. You didn't really give me an option. I, <laughs> I ran a charge that was $5 more than the amount of money that I had in my account. Now I have a fee. Um, if I consciously make the choice to say, even if, and, and it you know, would not be this expensive, but even if it was like hundred dollars a month, if I'm saying, you know what, the value here for me is worth more than hundred dollars a month. I am going to pay that. I don't feel bad about it. Right. Um, and, and, you know, a business shouldn't feel bad about charging that if it's up to the customer, right. I think a business should feel bad about charging things that the customer did not ask for like fees. Um, and so we probably will have, uh, in the not too distant future, uh, that kind of model where you can choose a, you know, maybe we have pockets and right now, um, customers can make all kinds of pockets. You can categorize your money and say, this is my grocery pocket. This is my, my automobile pocket. This is my vacation pocket. And so you can, um, really, you know, helps you to budget. It helps you to, uh, organize things. And, you know, maybe at some point we say, okay, we look at our customer base. Most people make five or less pockets. That's what we're going to say is free. For some of you, you know, you like to have fifty pockets or you know, hundred pockets or something. Um, those do actually cost us money. And so right. it, we can't really do it for free forever, uh, certainly not at scale. We can't have everybody just making a hundred pockets. Um, and so maybe we say, okay, we're gonna, you know, the bulk of our customers, this this is a good bar to say, these are free, and it's also reasonable to say the costs associated with this amount, we can we can uh, afford with things like interchange anything after that look you really like this great you see value for it what if you paid you know a couple of bucks a month to, to have an extra 10 20 50 pockets whatever it was and um, and then I think it's again it's one of those choices that somebody says yeah I would like to have I would like to have that thing I'm totally willing to pay two bucks a month for that um, so, you know, Interchange is not our only, it's not our only revenue model. Um, I noticed I saw
1: some loans also on your website. Are you trying to get into yes. Yeah, okay. Can you elaborate on what yeah. it's like to be a fintech trying to start up or connect uh, consumers with loans?
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's very different. Um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of neobanks in our space. Uh, almost none of them do credit. Hmm. And there are good reasons for that um we have a slightly different relationship with our sponsor bank and with the stack that we have put together which makes it very uh very different and much easier for us to offer credit and so we are doing that we have various flavors of credit one being overdraft right that is a form of credit we're giving you credit for a certain amount of time um and then and Floating that the facility to float money to your customers is credit. It's whether it's a credit card or whether it's overdraft or whether it's a term loan. Uh and so that's one flavor. We also have um for the people who want to consciously finance a larger purchase. Again, you know, I would say don't use this at the grocery store. Use this more like a, a credit card if you were using it, a credit card. Uh, more responsibly is, I would like to put this $1,000 purchase on, you know, it's going to take me three months to actually pay that, pay that off. So let me make the choice to finance that. So we have that discretionary credit, uh, where you don't necessarily have to go below zero Mm -hmm. in order to borrow it. Um, And then uh, very recently, and, and we are in the process of launching um, the, that credit line, which is, it's more of a discretionary credit, but for people who are wanting to finance a purchase at the point of purchase. So not saying I have a one account already, I would like to, you know, we have the ability to, the the card that I, I showed you earlier, you know, the card that you have in your wallet, if you have three pockets, including like your credit, um, your credit line, you can move the card in between each one. You go into the app and say, I want it to pull out of this real time. So if you're going to the grocery store, you say, pull out of my grocery pocket. So when you swipe the card, the money is gonna come out of the grocery pocket. Um, Instead of that, at the the point where the customer is making a purchase, they say, this is a large purchase, right? We're talking things like, uh, maybe like home improvement projects for, I'm going to paint my house or I need a shed in the backyard or those types of things um, where typically people are probably financing it anyway, they're not going to cash. They're saying, I'm going to put this on maybe a credit card. Um, Again, I think credit cards are doing people a disservice. They're kind of a general utility. And because of that, and because they are so um, misused, they charge really high fees because, in some in some regards, they they have to. I'm not saying that they are they're doing it all right, but in some ways they have to because of the losses. But if you are if your user base is using credit responsibly, um, you don't have to have you know 29% interest for that credit because it was a conscious decision to make a you know this one-time purchase. And so it's almost more like a term loan, but instead of call, instead of making it a term loan, it's I'm gonna pay for this thing, which is a home improvement project, which also kind of reduces risk. Again, we're not talking about people just going crazy at the bar or going out and buying a boat, um, but I'm gonna put this on, uh, on some type of credit facility and one has a really great offer. I mean, we're talking again, that 1% interest rate and they can, be, they can come to us what we would call a credit first customer. They didn't come to us for their primary banking relationship initially but we can offer them a really great service um, and a much lower interest rate than most uh, for that purchase. And in the same kind of uh, paradigm, we are also launching term loans which are you know, fixed payment, you know, you know exactly how many months it's gonna to take to pay off and same type of thing at the point of purchase. I wanna buy our washer and dryer, it's $1,000. I'm gonna pay $25 a month for the next X months and introduce people to a lot of the one concepts um, through that initial credit relationship. And so that is very different from a lot of the other uh, neobanks in the space most neobanks are running off of interchange and they do well um, and that's fine. But I think there is a, a bit of a lack of diversity in the, you know, in the revenue models with a lot of those as well. And so um, I think there's a, there's a lot of um, new coming out here soon and I think, uh, and not just with us. I mean, I mean, in general, I think there's a lot of new in the FinTech space I think a lot more um, startups and a lot more companies are able to offer banking-type services without being a bank themselves. And so we have a very we have a wonderful partnership with our sponsor bank, uh, but we are not a bank ourselves. All of the money mm-hmm. is held FDIC insured. It is all you know. It is all above board. Everything that we do is bank-level encryption. Um, so. Most people would say we are their bank, but technically, all of these neobanks are not banks. They are—they have a banking, you know, some type of banking platform under the hood. And, and I would say the differentiator for us is we are a bit of the banking platform and the product. Whereas a lot of the other neobanks, they built a product on top of a banking platform. Uh, so people who are in the, the fintech space, they've heard names like bankcore and Galileo and Cross River, and all of those are kind of bank as a service platforms, which they provide uh, APIs to their to their customers, which are you know fintechs that say we can hold account, we can create accounts, we can create cards, we can move money. You talk to these APIs, we handle everything under the hood. So a fintech can kind of start up and say, I'm going to build this product, which is a nice you know GUI on top of these other banking as a service platforms, we did things a little bit differently. Um, Again, Bill was really thinking long-term big vision uh, when he started this thing. And I think Brian, um, our CEO, Brian Hamilton came in and said, we've got to do this from the ground, better and, and more differentiated. We can't just throw a nice UI on top of another service that's out there. We have to be a big component of that service we have to build that ourselves and yes it's going to be slightly more painful and yes it's going to take us a little bit more time um you know to get to market it we've been out now for you know in production for approximately nine months ten months for general so we had close to you know almost almost at least a year and a half build um, before anybody ever saw anything. And I think it's not because we were slow. It's because we really built a differentiated foundation under the hood, uh, to be able to offer these different kinds of services, to be able to offer things like, you know, the ability to have these multiple pockets, which under the hood are physically, you know, different, um, Externally addressable accounts. It is. It's not some kind of accounting trick. We have right. separate, separate accounts that we are creating, and the ability to to take this card and point it at any of the the ind- those individual pockets. Um, that's very different. Uh, the ability to offer credit in the way that we're doing it seamlessly within our core, not when combine some. You know, there are credit. Um, there are credit companies out there that do a great job you know like cabbage and and blue Vine and and they offer a service credit as a service right and so i could see maybe a world where a fintech comes in and says okay we want to tank up take a bank court and have that be the banking side and we want to take you know uh, a cabbage and have that be like the credit side and we're going to put this layer on top that marries these two things um but it's not really your system Again, you're just kind of an integrator at that point, putting a UI on top of two different subsystems that don't even like talk to each other. Uh, We've done things completely differently. Our entire stack for credit, for banking, it's all self-contained, it's all within one. And I think that's really going to be uh, one of the things that allows us, although maybe we were a little bit slower out of the gate, one of the things that's going to allow us to move much quicker as we grow and as we get bigger and as we want to offer different types of services to our customers.
1: One of the things you mentioned earlier was the risk component. And you mentioned how also you're not technically a bank, you're a um, you're the product for the consumers that might view you as a bank, but officially on paper, legally, you're not a bank entity. Correct. Uh, so as it relates to risk, are you the one that bears the risk or is it the bank that bears the risk? Bears the do, you, do you bear the risk together? Do you build the risk model? Or do they build the risk model? How does it all
0: work out? Yeah, so uh, we control all of that. Um, and as far as like the funds themselves, like all of our funds, I want to be very clear. You can look it up on the website, you can look at all the terms, uh, FDIC insured, held at the bank. We don't like, I mean, it's all held digitally, obviously, but there's no bank uh, anymore. There's no vault with money in it. Um, but uh, all of that is obviously protected by the bank itself. The movement of money and all of the you know whether or not we let a customer through the door right uh that process you know normally known in the industry is like kyc i uh, know your customer we have to validate that the person signing up is a real person and that they are the person that whose data is, that they're entering into the platform that type of risk that all falls on us uh, when somebody makes a they want to make a, an ACH payment which is like you know your typical bank to bank payment i want to pull money out of my wells fargo account cuz i'm leaving them cuz they charge me too many fees so i'm going to pull it into one uh, those money transfers that risk is on us and so we take all of the appropriate measures to both you know for people coming in the door validate you are who you say you are mm-hmm. and then also to say you know on these ACH transfers Uh, We're doing something pretty novel in that most banks, ACH transfer somewhere between three to five days, um, just depending, because there's risk in that, right? The way that the ACH system works, that could probably be a whole podcast, Um, but essentially you have this, you know, if you're talking about a poll, which is like somebody who is in one and they want to pull money from Wells Fargo, there's risk there. Because this, what we are doing is telling Wells Fargo, hey, we're taking money out of one of your customers' accounts. Now they happen to be one of our customers too, and we believe that because we've gone through all of these, these KYC you know, procedures and, and we've mitigated the risk there, but we are pulling money out of one of your customers' accounts. And essentially the way ACH works is as long as their money is in there, um, Wells Fargo says, sure. We don't, we, we didn't. In, Wells Fargo did not initiate the transfer. One did, but you know, ostensibly one's customer did. Uh, that transfer has risk because if that Wells Fargo, Fargo customer comes back later and says, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. I didn't pull any money out of my Wells Fargo account. How did this happen? Wells Fargo comes back to us and says, hey, give, give us back that money. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, that was not real. Um, and that, that risk there is... Um, it's very real uh, in, in the banking world, as well as um, somebody trying to pull $1,000 out of their Wells Fargo account and they only have 500 bucks. Hmm. Uh, we don't know whether or not you actually have $1,000 at Wells Fargo. Um, we can maybe do a check before you actually make the transfer. But then again, the way the ACH system works, none of this is real time. None of this is like us calling up Wells Fargo and, you know, electronically and saying, hey, transfer over this money this goes out on an ACH file, you know, tonight, or maybe in, within the next couple of hours. Well, as Fargo is gonna get that tonight or tomorrow morning or sometime, they're going to make a decision and they say, wait a minute, this this person doesn't have any money. During all of that time, of course, a customer could have, even if they had money at the time that they made the transfer, they could have pulled money out or they could have forgot that their, that their mortgage payment was gonna hit that night. And so the money ended mm-hmm. up leaving their account, you know, by accident, but we get back a signal a day or two later that says, wait a minute, <laughs> there's no money here. We're not making this transfer. So if we are to give the money to the customer any sooner than we get that signal back from the other bank, there could be, there could be loss there on our side, right? And so we do things to, to mitigate that. But what I was saying that we're doing that's a lot more novel is that we have a partner, wonderful partner um, called Orem, and they give us insight into the likelihood that a transaction will actually come back as NSF, non-sufficient funds, hmm. and you know that in conjunction with some other um, you know decision making on our side as to whether or not we want to you know give a customer the money essentially kind of on credit. We're saying you know what we we feel like you're good for it, right? Whether it's because you're a good customer or because Orem has said this is not risky. They this person owns that other account. Uh, it, this is obviously not uh, a case of fraud, and, and nothing's ever obvious, right? in in the In the data science world, but this is far more likely that it is not fraud. We can give that customer their money the next day, and in fact, hmm. shortly we can give that to you immediately. You want to make a transfer? We will handle it under the hood, and it might take a day or two, but. We're going to give you that money immediately. Hmm. Um, and that is very different because again, it goes back to risk. But if you can mitigate the risk, then you can provide a much better service for your customers without also taking, you know, huge financial losses for your business. So, um, and I do think a lot of these things are the things that uh, the smaller neobanks and, and challenger banks um, like we are, are equipped to be able to do. Because we can move faster. Because we can use these new vendors that are, you know, state of the art, and are, you know, they themselves are probably just starting out, have a couple of years under their belt, but they're also really good at what they're doing, and we can leverage that. You're not going to get that kind of buy-off, and you're not going to get those kinds of quick builds and and iterations at at a large institution, um, because you know, as much as they would like to keep up. just there's so much more bureaucracy there's so much more you know there's huge huge roadmaps that you know they have a five-year roadmap i mean you know for a a startup to have more than a five-month roadmap is pretty pretty aspirational um and so i think uh i think you will see in the space a lot of new interesting things coming out and um not least of which is one (laughs) so
1: So when it comes to the consumer's perspective, as they sign up to be a one user, Mm -hmm. if they do go below that zero threshold, does it affect their credit in any way or is it independent
0: of credit? It's independent. Um, And I will say on the credit side of things, um, yeah, so to answer your question, uh, it it does not affect their credit. Um, We are basically on that overdraft, we are allowing you to borrow that money, with the you know, understanding that your next paycheck or your next incoming funds are going to pay that back. Hmm. Um, on the discretionary credit line, if you more like kind of more like a credit card type facility, which, which has a lower interest rate, uh, we will report if you don't pay it back, I of see. course. Um, but on credit, we also have uh, a lot of our customers or you know, would be customers, they don't have the best credit, um, either because hard times, you know, maybe they used to have good credit and more recently COVID really impacted them. Um, or maybe they just made mistakes in the past, but now they're like totally able to repay things. And, you know, I've always said credit scores is a, is a lagging indicator. It is what you've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, It is not how credit worthy are you right now and it goes both ways too you may have paid every bill on time in the past you just lost your job two months ago credit bureaus really don't know that you're not bad until i don't mean bad you're you're not a a good credit risk um, until you miss your first couple payments Hmm. and then they get reports from each of those different you know credit facilities that say. This person didn't pay, now they're 30 days late. Well, that is, a, that is a, um, just as bad of a signal as the opposite where somebody has a, you know, a 600 credit score because they happened to lose their job a year ago and didn't have an income for a month or two. Now they have a job again. They've, that's the only time they've really missed payments, but that dropped their scores because they didn't make a payment for two months. And right now, the credit risk on them should be super low, but again, we're looking at a credit score that is look, you know, effectively looking at seven years of history and just kind of gauging past performance is going to equal future. Well, that's not mm-hmm. true. <laughs> kind of you and I were talking earlier about logic. Um, that is not true. And so we're really looking at, at uh, income, you know, current income, what's coming into the platform? Okay, we know, kind of where you're at. But also for these customers who might have a slightly lower credit score, maybe you have a 500. Um, credit cards are not willing to give somebody with a 500 credit score uh, a credit card. Uh, right. And so we have something called Credit Builder, which is uh, really for you know customers who want to improve their credit score um, so that they can get more traditional forms of credit, essentially because so many places Um, use credit score as the benchmark of should I loan you money. Uh, Credit Builder allows you to, it is, I'm going to use a word again that that is um, more well known. It's like a secured card. So the traditional model of a secured credit card is that a customer would say, I'm going to send you Bank of America $500 and you lock that up. And then you're going to give me a card that kind of works like a credit card except you have all the collateral you need to cover it if i don't pay you back um and then you use that for some number of years or, or and you say at some point i want to close this thing i've paid all my money back please give me my 500 dollars back that whole life cycle can be shrunk down into real time and so we offer that same ability to where if you have a credit builder pocket Um, you put some money in there, we temporarily lock it up, uh, and then you can spend with that, with your, your, your one card, um, while it's pointed at the credit builder pocket, all of those purchases are essentially it's, it's similar to a credit card in the sense that we are going to report back to the credit bureaus on your behalf that you made, that you used, um, that you had an on-time payment every single month, because even if you don't quote unquote pay us back, we will just take it out of the collateral that you've locked up, right? Mm. So we can, we can show that you are a good steward of money um, without damaging, you know, we won't damage your credit score because we are only gonna report that you were successful at paying this back each month. Um, and uh, very shortly at any given time, you can say, look, I put $500 in there. I don't really need this anymore. I kind of want that money back. Um, I've, I've paid it back or I've paid back. I only owe you $100, but you're holding 500. I would like to pull three or $400 back out and put it into my into my cash. Um, you can do that, hmm. right? There's, there's, there's no lockup period where it's like, or there's no big delay in between that that life cycle of put money in, use it to build your credit, take money out. We can, we can make that much more real time and have that benefit for these customers who have slightly lower credit, are trying to raise that, are trying to build a good financial future. And for us, for one, we, you know even if other people in the industry won't take uh, as much risk on you, if you're building your credit with us and we see this person is responsible, they have steady income, they are trying to better themselves, you know, they're trying to better their, their financial life. Uh, they're making these payments on time. We will then start to have this blended kind of credit where part of your credit is secured and part of it is, uh, unsecured. Hmm. And we can kind of move people along the spectrum of, you know, fully, it's not just fully secured or I really trust you and, willing to give you you know credit with zero collateral there's a spectrum there that don't really think there's a an offering out there in the market that allows you to maybe you lock up a hundred dollars but your credit facility is a thousand right maybe you lock up 500 and your credit facility is a thousand um it's it really there's a lot to do there um i don't think you know we're working on a lot of it um it's not all fully fleshed out but you can see a lot of these changes uh, coming very quickly here in the next really in the next couple of months. Um, we're very close on a lot of it. The credit build product is already out there. Um, we released that beta uh, a couple of months ago. Um, we're adding to it, we're making changes. Uh, we will continue to grow and, and continue to offer additional additional credit products that help customers instead of trying to <laughs> instead of trying to hurt them.
1: Well, I've been very thankful for your time. I've definitely learned a lot. this uh, a little past over an hour. I also just yeah, want no, to appreciate it. To your time. Uh, so I just want to end the call on, or end the recording for our guest on just one final question. Uh, sure. What's the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you and follow along with your company's journey? If that's something that they'd like to do.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, our, our name is One. Uh, company is OneFinance.com. The the URL for the company is OneFinance.com. Um, that's O-N-E, not the number, but O-N-E. Um, and we also have social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and we're even on Reddit. So um, you can find, you know, there's, there's all the types of communities out there. We have lots of customers talking about one. I would say, you know, start at the website, see what we're doing. Um, you can sign up. We Again, we charge no fees. There's no sign up fee. You know, there's really no penalty for you giving it a shot. We don't hurt your credit. There's no, you know, we don't do any hard credit pulls. Um, So there's really no reason for you not to at least check us out. Um, And then also I would say, you know, follow our social media, follow Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, see what other customers are saying, because, you know, I think we are filling a need for customers that really hasn't been met by honestly, by either the large banks or, or a lot of the neobanks. Large banks, very very, kind of not listening to the middle class. They really wanna have the customers that have a lot of money because they make money off of that money. Um, If you don't have a lot of money, they don't really care about you. And they wanna charge you fees because all of the infrastructure that they have, they need to support it and your little thousand dollar balance isn't gonna cut it for them. So they need to charge for that. On the other end, you have neobanks who really are putting out a a kind of a niche product in a lot of cases where it just does one thing that's really cool. And it's like, that's awesome. We should have that. Um, What we've done is combine a lot of those things together so that we can say, look, you can have all these cool features and still have kind of that more holistic banking experience that maybe one of the larger banks offers you, but they just do a really poor job at it. And so we're really trying to fill that, that middle-class void. And I think if you look at a lot of our social media and a lot of, you know, obviously the website is coming from us, but if you look at what we're trying to do, it's really to help families, um, people who are, are living paycheck to paycheck, people who are in some cases like struggling and, um, just make a better, better financial product and a better bank for those people. Uh, so onefinance.com I think is, is the best place to start and, uh, you can go from there.